0: We're in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, picking up where we left off last week. And uh, Jesus is going to teach another parable. And if you remember, if you were here last week or if you weren't, uh, Jesus started a conversation with his disciples, uh, but then it turned quickly to the Pharisees, uh, these hard-hearted religious leaders who... um, Man, he really exposed last week their love of something else besides God first, their love of money, and their lack of submission to God and how they handled their money, how they dealt with their money, but also their self-justification, right? Proving why they were right, even though they knew they were in the wrong. And so Jesus is continuing that conversation with these Pharisees today and he's talking about two men in this parable and two very distinct eternal destinations, heaven and hell. And Jesus is teaching through this to every one of us, not just to the Pharisees who were listening. He's teaching every one of us that there are two destinations. And most of life is kind of a gray scale and there's, 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 there's a spectrum for everything, But the reality of eternity is not a spectrum. It is one or the other. We're either going to be fully united with God forever, or we're going to be fully separated from God for forever. So let's look at it. Real happy, clappy Christmas message this morning, all right? Luke 16. This is just where we find ourselves. Verse 19. Here's what he says. He says there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Just pause. imagine that. <laughs> Verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Yours may say Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here, you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses' and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that, God, it is enough. And we thank you that it teaches us uh, what we need to know about you and forgiveness and mercy and repentance. God, I pray that this morning, as we think about the eternal, we think about what comes after this life, we think about uh, where we are going, what will happen. God, I pray that... um, If there's someone in the room this morning, God, who does not know you, has not been forgiven of their sins, God, that they would turn to you in faith because they would see that there is something so, so great for those who do. God, I pray that we would be those motivated uh, to warn and to encourage those around us who are in lostness, who are in a state of being separated from you, God, that they do not want to spend forever separated from you. And so I pray this morning as we deal with this waiting message this morning from Jesus, God, that you would uh, teach us and you would encourage us. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's look at verse 19. Uh, Jesus tells this parable, and last week he told a parable about a rich man. This is not the the same rich man from last week, uh, but Jesus is telling a parable to illustrate a point. Uh, And in this parable, uh, this rich man, obviously, by, by what it says, he has way more than enough. He's very rich, like our man from last week, right? He's, it says that he's clothed in purple clothing. This is not a fashion statement. This is a wealth statement, right? Purple dye was incredibly expensive. Only kings and the most rich wore it. He has fine linen. I don't know what fine linen is. We don't have that in my house. Um, but it's, it's more than was needed. And he feasted sumptuously Uh, There's your $5 word for the week. Sumptuously. That means more than enough. He feasted, not just at the appropriate times. When did he feast? Every day. This is not normal. This man has above and beyond kind of wealth. And it's manifested in his life in self indulgence, right? He's bought himself purple linen clothes so he can dine, wine, and dine every day, right? Now, Jesus has been addressing these Pharisees' love of money. So when they hear about this rich man who's clothed in purple, fine linen, feasted sumptuously every day, they're thinking, I want to be that guy, right? And maybe some of us do too, right? I don't know about the linen and the purple clothes. That's not really my gig. But Jesus is addressing this because they wanted to be this guy. They wanted wealth. They wanted comfort. That's what they loved. We saw it last week, more than even God. Look at verse 20. There's another man. There's a poor man who's, it says, uh, and at his gate, the rich man's gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus. And he's covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So this other man is the exact opposite. This man has, the rich man has more than enough. The poor man doesn't even have what he needs. Um, you can picture this person, and maybe you've interacted with the homeless enough to picture this person, but he, he, he's been this way for a while because his body is broken. He's not in his house feasting. No, it says someone has laid him at the gate of this rich man, almost as if one of his friends came and brought him to the rich man and thought, maybe he'll, he'll do something. We know he has more than enough. And so he's been laid there, presumably because he can't walk because he's so broken in his body and his hope is maybe they'll throw out some food scraps and I can eat off of that now he's developed some bad health and if you've interacted with the homeless you've maybe seen this right his his body is breaking down and he he's developed these sores and he may have he may not care Like, I'm picturing, how how bad does it have to get for you to let dogs lick your sores? So maybe he's lost feeling, and he doesn't care, or maybe it's just that bad that he's let himself go there. He's in bad, bad shape. And in this parable, this rich man does nothing with this man. There's no interaction. There's nothing. Even though God had clearly said, what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now, this poor man, as they hear about him, is not who the Pharisees wanted to be. No, they want to be the rich man with more than enough in the fine purple linen clothes. In fact, it's not who any of us want to be. Nobody who's laying at the gate of somebody else, having dogs lick their sores, ever dreamed that this would be the outcome of their life. And nor should it, <laughs> right? Let me just make that point. Jesus is not in this parable upholding poverty as, wow, this is, the, this is really the life you want to live. This is the blessed life. Not having enough, dogs licking your sores, right? Jesus is not saying that today. Poverty is a result of a broken world. Poverty is the result of a broken systems and broken personal choices and health and broken mental health and sinful choices and all kinds of things. Jesus is not saying we should all desire to be like this poor man. No, that's not what this is about. He's talking about eternity. He's highlighting our eternal state, not our present state. So, look at verse 22. In time... The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, we'll stop there. So if you notice in the story, both of these men, even though they're exact opposites, what happens? The same thing, the same fate awaits us all. No matter the amount of wealth and excess and abundance we have, every one of us, our body is breaking down, (laughs) and we will one day die. That is the, the curse of sin on this earth. Both the rich and the poor, doesn't matter. Now, it tells us that the poor man, it says, was carried to Abraham's side. There's no mention of a burial or some end-of-life celebration with him. Why? Because he had nothing. He had absolutely nothing. But it says that the angels carried his body, probably best to understand his soul, not his physical body, but carries him to Abraham's side. Now this is, yours may say, Abraham's bosom. This is the only time Scripture uses this phrase, and some have extrapolated all kinds of meaning from this. Let's just understand it as simple as it's meant to be understood near Abraham, right? It's, it's where Abraham is. And where is Abraham? He's, he's the epitome of righteousness in their mind as Jews. So he is with God. And so in short, this poor, poor man dies and goes to heaven. He is with God forever. That's what it means to live in heaven, to be with God forever. Now, it tells us that this poor man's name was Lazarus. This is not uh, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus uh, because it's a made-up story. It's a parable. But it's Lazarus, and that name in Hebrew is Eleazar, which means the one whom God helps. The one whom God helps. The helped one, right? And you, you picture this poor man's life. It doesn't seem like his name has fit his circumstances. It doesn't seem that God has really helped him, but you can see that in his eternal destiny, right? He did not deserve this. He did not earn this. He did not whatever, but God has helped him, and he has brought him to his side. And it tells us in verse 23 the same thing. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So in contrast to the poor man, the wealthy man, when he dies, he goes to Hades. Now, his, it tells us here that his body was buried, likely with some extravagance, like, likely with some pomp and circumstance. Why? Because he had the means on this earth. But it tells us that his soul went to Hades. Hades is the equivalent in Hebrew to Sheol, which is the place of the dead. It's a word picture for what we would call hell, right? In short, the poor man is with God forever, and the rich man is separated from God forever. Now, this is incredibly shocking at this point because the Pharisees who are listening to this, as they hear Jesus talk about eternal destinies, in their mind, the one who deserved most likely to go to heaven and be with God forever was the one who was rich. Because if you were rich, in their mind, that meant that God had blessed you tremendously, that you must be incredibly blessed by God. You must be so close to God. That was their perspective. And so when Jesus says that this rich man went to Hades, they can't even fathom this. And not only that, but the poor man, who in their mind was poor because of his sin, because of his brokenness, because of lack of God's blessing on his life, the poor man is with God forever at Abraham's side. Like this is shocking to them. Now, Thankfully, the parable doesn't stop here, because if it stopped here, we would be tempted to think, hey, this is what this means. We all need to go go into poverty, develop some sores so we can go to heaven, right? But that's not the point of the story. That's not the point that Jesus is making. He's not saying the rich go to hell and the poor go to heaven. That's not the point at all. Why did the poor man go to heaven and why didn't the rich man go to heaven? It's important that we read the whole story, and we notice, if you, if you skip down, and we'll come to it here in a minute, but in verse uh, 20, uh, I don't know what verse that is. It's down there. It says, for I have, where is it? Verse 30, there it is tells him to send somebody to him, and he said, "'No Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent the The, the rich man understands as he 's sitting in hell that the reason he 's in hell, not in heaven, the reason he 's separated from God, not forever with God, is because he did not what repent this is no issue with his money, right Rich people can go to heaven as easy as Poor people can go to heaven, right? Because it's not about money. Our status before God is not dependent on how much money we have or how little money we have. The issue before God is our sin and our repentance. And we know that it seems, based on what what the rich man says in hell, that the poor man must have repented of his sin. He must have turned and believed in God. Otherwise, he would not have been there. And this rich man knows, I did not repent. I want my brothers to repent so they don't come here. Do you see that? The issue is not money necessarily. The only way that any one of us goes to heaven and spends eternity with God is if we are forgiven of our sins. That's, that's it. There is no way for us to be with God unless we are forgiven. And the only way that we can be forgiven of our sin, the Bible says in Romans, is to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to repent of our sin. It's two sides of the same coin. We put our faith, we believe that he died in our place, and we don't have to die. The only way we can be forgiven is to believe. Verse 23 He says, and in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Jesus is adding some intrigue to this story. And this this rich man is not just in hell, separated from God. There is torment. There is anguish. There is pain. And in this instance, in this story, and I don't know that we should draw conclusions about what we can or can't see in heaven and hell. In this instance, he is conscious, he is aware, and he can see the good that he is not a part of. He, he's not just annihilated and, and done. No, he can see it, and he can see what he missed out on, and he can see the gap between him and there. He can see the separation. Maybe that's part of the torment of it all. And in verse 24, he calls out, He calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Not only is he able to see, but in this parable, he's able to call out and have a conversation. He's able to to, to talk to Abraham, the first son of the promise, and he calls out to Abraham, who he would view as his father, and he begs for mercy. Now that he is finally separated from God, he is in Hades, he's in hell, he finally realizes his need, his greatest need. And it wasn't purple clothes and linen clothes and and sumptuous eating. He realizes his greatest need was forgiveness. And that's why he calls out first for mercy. Mercy. He says, Father, have mercy on me. Mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve. We don't get what we do deserve. And so this rich man, when he calls out for mercy, he's owning and accepting the fact that I deserve this. I deserve to be separated from you forever. And he's begging for what? Mercy. He's begging not to get what he does deserve. He doesn't argue his innocence. (laughs) He doesn't say, but no, no, I had all this wealth." But but he doesn't argue that. He knows the truth at this moment. And he knows that he does not want it. (laughs) He does not want that. He wants to be with God. He wants to be by Abraham's side. He wants to be with Lazarus, the one who he neglected on this earth. And that's what hell is. It is ultimate separation from God. There is no presence of God, no impact of God in hell. There is nothing good. There is no common grace. You and I, though our world may be terrible at times, though there's war and famine and brokenness, we all experience common grace. We can all enjoy a brisket Uh, sandwich. We can all breathe in fresh air. We can all experience uh, the love of a a hug and and a kind word from a friend. There is none of that in hell because it's fully empty of God. God is not upholding everything by the word of his power. There is nothing good, nothing life-giving or life-sustaining in hell because God is completely absent from it. And that is the rightful place for those who want nothing to do with God on this earth, those who love other things before God. Why do you think you would want to spend eternity with God if you don't want to be with him now? Why do you think that you should be there if you don't enjoy being in his presence now? How is that going to be better than this? No, our eternal destiny is either with God forever or separated from God forever. Look at verse 25. It says, But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Abraham, at Jesus, by telling the story, points out the reversal. And that's so common throughout Luke that, that it's the, the outsiders that are included, it's the, the excluded that are brought in. And, and this is true. The rich man is the one who ends up in hell and the poor man in heaven. This is a great reversal. Why? Why is the rich man in there? While on earth... His earthly treasure was not God himself. His earthly treasure was not that. His earthly treasure was his money, his worldly gain. And Lazarus, on the other hand, because of his repentance, because of his faith, he is now experiencing all that is good. He's experiencing all that is best. He's fully with God and in his presence forevermore. And because the rich man did not treasure heavenly things, spiritual things, He did not want God. He wanted money. He did not put his faith in God. Now it's been reversed. In verse 26, he says, Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. We're so tempted to think this, that I'm going to deal with that later I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that decision later on because, because i got time, and, and I'll deal with it then. And I think that was probably baked into what he's talking about. He thinks, uh, maybe I'll just deal with it then. Maybe once, maybe once we die, maybe there's some sort of grace period, you know, like, yeah, I know I missed the bill, but, but can, I, can I just pay now? Jesus says, no, there is a great chasm, this, this expanse, this emptiness that cannot be crossed it is not only a chasm, it, says it is fixed. It's not changing, and it's not going to change. There's no way to cross this. Once we die, there is no changing. We are what we are. We're either redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and we'll spend eternity with God forever, or we're not, and we'll spend eternity separated from God forever. And at this moment, this is a heartbreaking reality for this rich man to come to because I think he finally realizes the finality of this it's over there's there's no there's no wiggling my way out of this there's no paying somebody off there's no like I can't have a change of heart maybe now I can come he realizes for him it's over he lived it up he had a great little life and now he's got eternity separated from God and the poor man, though he suffered, though he suffered for some, for some hard years, they're incredibly short in the expanse of eternity. Compared to the length and the breadth and the width and the height of the love of God forever, these few short years that he suffered, they're nothing. Now, Jesus is telling the story to us to make us count that cost because so many of us are uh, in our sin we're tempted to think that this world and what we have right now and what we have in 5 years and 10 years and 20 years that is worth so much more to us than eternity because it's so far off and so hard to fathom and Jesus is making us count the cost is it worth it is it worth it Is repentance and faith in Jesus now worth eternity, experiencing the height and breadth and width and love of God forever? Yes. Yes, it is. Is it worth it to live it up now for whatever you want and to give up eternity separated from God from all that is good and right? No, it's not. If we're honest and we count the cost. And that's what he's doing in this. This rich man is counting the cost, and he's realizing he missed it. Look at verse 27. He said, the rich man, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." As, as this rich man realizes that his eternity is over, there's no changing it. He 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 has this moment of clarity, and he turns his attention to his family. He knows what they're in the same boat I was. They're in the same boat I was. They are unrepentant and without faith or love for God. And he realizes I do not want them to come here. So 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 Abraham. Lazarus, can you send a messenger to them to warn them of the coming judgment? He thinks maybe if somebody would just go to them and tell them that they could be convinced. Maybe even if somebody could come back from the dead, which is so ironic. If somebody could come back from the dead with a story about the truth of eternity in heaven or eternity in hell, then they would repent and they would put their faith in God. But what does it say? Verse 29. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He's saying, they have the scriptures, just like you did. They have the Old Testament, what Moses proclaimed, what the prophets proclaimed, and what was their message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn to God, don't turn to yourself. Worship God, don't worship idols. They have this message. He says, that's enough. That's absolutely enough for them to hear and to believe. And so what, what is he saying? He says, they don't need a new word. They don't need some new fangled whatever. No, they don't, need a, they don't even need a sign of somebody coming back from the dead. No, what do they need? They need to hear God's word and believe it. They need to hear God's word and believe it, right? And he said, verse 30, He still is fighting, and he says, he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. The rich man thinks they they just don't have enough information. They just don't have enough power. They just don't have enough science. If if maybe somebody would come back from the dead, then that that would do it. That would change them. And what is... That plays out in our day. We think we need some spectacular something. We need some newfangled method or, or, or incredible miracle to, for, for somebody to believe. And maybe that is true. Maybe sometimes that's what it takes. But what we really need is God's Word. The truth, the simple truth of God's Word that there is forgiveness available in Jesus to everyone who believes, to everyone who turns from their sin and repents. There's forgiveness You don't have to spend eternity separated from God. That's it. (laughs) We don't need something spectacular, right? And that's his point. And here's what he says in verse 31. He said, Abraham, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they won't listen to God's word that already has been spoken, if they won't listen to God's word that has been proven true, then they're not going to hear it from some other messenger. And so the same is true today. I could, I could package this up or you could get some other preacher to package it up in a different personality and, and a, illustrations and all that sort of thing. But the, the, the content is the content and the simple truth is the simple truth that, that every single one of us is a sinner. And if we die... In our sin, never being forgiven, we will be separated from God for forever. We don't need a new word. We need changed hearts, right? And here's what he says. He says, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And, and this is obviously, we read this as Christians after Jesus rises from the dead, and we understand what he means, Right? He knows I'm going to rise from the dead. And I'm going to come and I'm going to say the same message. And their their hearts are still hard. Their hearts are still rejecting me, even though I might rise from the dead. And he's going to come and he's going to call them to repentance even after he rises from the dead. And many of these same religious leaders who saw all of these signs, heard all of these words, knew all of the truth, had been around it so many times, they did not turn from their sin, and they did not seek forgiveness in Christ. And that's true for us today. God has spoken His Word in many times and in many ways. And in these last days, as Hebrews says, He's spoken to us through His Son, who was crucified in our place and was resurrected so that we might believe in him and be forgiven so that we do not have to spend eternity separated from God. Now, as we enter into a season of Christmas, and we're going to spend time as a culture and as a church and as families celebrating this Christmas, this coming of the Christ, this Thanksgiving about all that this means, Christmas literally means the celebration of the coming of Christ. Christ is the Old Testament word Messiah, this promised Savior who would come. And all throughout Moses and all throughout the prophets, they spoke of this Christ, this Messiah, this anointed one who was coming to save them. And they thought it was going to be by might, and it wasn't. It was by death. They thought it was going to be by power, and it wasn't. It was by resurrection. As Christians, as we enter into a season with all the lights and all the poinsettias and all the the stuff, right? We have to realize that this is so much bigger than just what are my kids getting for Christmas or how can I afford that gift. This is so much bigger Because we're not just celebrating a baby born in a manger, and that's amazing. We're celebrating a a Christ who came on a mission, and he came on this mission to live the perfect life and die the death in our place so that you and I don't have to spend eternity separated from God. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. This is the best time of year. Not because of the tinsel. Not because of the lights. Not because of the presence. And those things are good. This is the best time of the year because it represents that God sent his son to live and die and be the Lamb of God forever. So I want us to bow our heads just where you're at. And we're going to finish and we're going to sing a song and, and do what we do. But I want you to just take a moment right now. This parable should lead us to self-reflection. And I want you to just think about your own life, honestly, just where you're at. You don't have to announce it out loud. Have you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus to save you? If you haven't, I'm here as a messenger to warn you that you will spend eternity separated from God forever. Count that cost There is forgiveness available in Jesus. There is forgiveness from our sins. There is mercy that we do not get what we do deserve. It's available in Jesus. And so just take a sec where you're at and, and be honest with yourself. And if you've been saved and if you've put your faith in Jesus, then thank God for the good news of Christmas that we can celebrate because there is forgiveness of sins. The other thing that a parable like this should do in our hearts is it should motivate us. We should be motivated with a sense of urgency to proclaim this good news. To proclaim the good news that there is mercy and forgiveness available to everyone. Yes. It means you must turn from your sin and you must turn and put your faith in Jesus. And however great that cost may be to someone, it pales in comparison to the gift of of forever with God. And so Christians, we need to be motivated to share this good news, especially this time of year. Let me pray. God, I pray for those in the room, and I pray for those who have heard this message of eternity in one way or the other, the extremes, life forever with you or life forever separated with you. And I pray that if there's someone in the room who doesn't know where they will spend eternity, God, that they would put their faith in Jesus. They would repent of their sin, God, and you would redeem them and restore them and make them new like you've done in Jackson's life, like you've done in mine, like you've done in so many. God, I pray that there'd be salvation today. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.